The Indie Insider Podcast is presented by Blackshell Media, a publishing and marketing firm working to help independent video game developers reach massive audiences, publish financially successful titles, and turn game development into a career. The company also offers educational resources for aspiring and experienced developers alike, which is why we get to bring this show to you every week. For more on Blackshell Media, visit blackshellmedia.com. Hey, Insiders! We're ramping up towards our 50th episode special by bringing you big-name guests for our 48th and 49th episodes. This week, I'm pleased to share with all of you my interview with Frederick Wester, the CEO of Paradox Interactive. And next week, I'll be talking with Craig Morrison, the design director for Blizzard Entertainment. Finally, in case you missed it, our 50th episode guest will be none other than Nolan Bushnell himself, father of the video game industry and founder of Atari. Plus, we'll have previous guests from the show on, a great giveaway to help you in your game development career, and even more surprises. So please join us for our 50th episode in just two weeks, and thank you for your continued support. Welcome to Indie Insider, presented by Blackshell Media. This is the weekly show where we talk with video game developers and professionals about their stories, their advice for others, and their thoughts on the indie video game industry. I'm Logan Schultz, and on today's show, I sit down and talk with Frederick Wester, the CEO of Paradox Interactive. Frederick shares with me the story of how Paradox came to be, including the risks they took to get the company off the ground. Frederick also shares his insight into what platform you should launch your game on, how pillars of priority can help manage the scope of your game, tips and tricks to managing your team, and much more. As always, if you have thoughts, questions, or ideas on what we should do next, shoot me an email at logan at blackshowmedia.com. You can also find the most up-to-date news on the Indie Insider Podcast on Twitter by following at Logan A. Schultz or at Indie underscore Insider. Finally, you can follow us on Instagram under the name Indie Insider. And now, the CEO of Paradox Interactive, Frederick Wester. Hello, everyone. Welcome to yet another episode of the Indie Insider Podcast. And today, I am extremely pleased to be talking with the CEO and president of Paradox Interactive, Frederick Wester. Uh, Fred, how's it going? It, not too bad at all. I, I'm having a great time at the moment, and so is Paradox. So I, I, I would say great. <laughs> That's excellent. You actually mentioned to me that you're you're at a summer house with your family, taking a little bit of time. That's great. Yeah, I am. Like uh, July is typically a slow month over here uh, in Sweden, where um, where we're based. So, but I still work a couple of hours a day just to uh, make sure that we're still on track with everything that we're doing. So, but it's still nice to hang out someplace else than in in the city. Sure. Well, that's a great point that I want to touch on just right off the bat is, you know, this industry, the video game industry, sometimes has uh, difficulty pulling away from the work and, and taking time for your family. How do you manage to balance having a family, having kids, and, and also being the CEO and president of a, of a pretty major company? Well, first first of all, I think it's really important to take time off because it, it helps you be more creative once you are at work and then be more efficient while you while you actually work, the hours that you put in in the office or wherever you are. Mm-hmm. It, that doesn't say that necessarily that, that you don't work hard because you have to work hard if you want to stay in this industry, but I still think it's important to take time off. But I, I do travel a lot uh, and... Uh, 
but I, one of the things that I've done is that I live only five minutes walking distance from my office, for example. And, and that saves a lot of time. I, I know a lot of people commute, but I've always put it very high priority to be close to the office. Even when we were a small company and I didn't have the... Um, like I didn't have the money that I have now uh, because it's easier if you're financially strong it's obviously easier to make easy decisions right but sure. always a priority to be closed so that all the money is saved not commuting you can spend with your family or working even more if you like that but still commuting to me is just a waste of all that time sure that seems like a smart little tip is is just being closer it saves money it saves time and um, you know, it gets you where you need to be. I like that. Yeah, and if you do have to uh, have to commute a lot because all people can't really like have the same uh, lifestyle or living close to the office, you can still work from home a couple of days a week because it makes you really efficient. You can just, if you're able to focus while you're at home, which not is it's not possible for everyone, maybe, but I think you could do that as well. Sure. Well, uh, Fred. You are the CEO and president of a, of a company that has boomed over the last, you know, decade, I would say. Um, and you mentioned that Paradox is doing really well. What is Paradox doing that right now that's, that's uh, so effective? I think that what we did initially when we moved into publishing for real, which was uh, 2008, 2009, and then like... We saw the first like million seller in it would take first 12 months million seller was magic i released in 2011 and now magic i was a step away from the formula that what was paradox interactive that was like really super hardcore strategy games but i think that one of the uh, things in the past three four years that has been really successful for us is that we've updated like what kind of formula do, do we want to work with and, and what kind of games can we stand behind so we agreed upon six different pillars that all our games should should embrace and Working with a very clear formula and a clear vision has helped us a lot in the last three, four years. So now we're not doing the action games anymore, but we're more of a like a thinking man's uh, game studio, if you want to call it that. And and saying that the most important feature of any of our games is the replayability factor. The idea that you can pick up the game for almost no reason and play it one more time and have a different experience. So that's what we're, one of the things that we try to deliver. So I, I think it's easier for people nowadays to, even if... It doesn't matter if you make a Paradox game as one of our developers or you sit at the Paradox office or if you buy a game from us because you know what to expect from it. And that makes it much easier for everyone involved. That's interesting. Kind of, uh, I like that idea of the pillars. It's something that all of the Paradox games should have, whether they're designed in-house or whether they're games that you've published. I mean, when you pick a game up, you know it's a Paradox game because it has... X, Y, and Z. That's that's uh, an interesting way to focus on, I guess, your catalog of games. Yeah. So, uh, Fred, let's jump back all the way to the beginning then uh, and talk about you. How did you end up getting into video games in the first place? Is this something that you knew you always wanted to do? Actually, my absolutely first company that I founded when I was 15 years old, together with my older brother, who was then 17, uh, it was a mail-order company where we imported Nintendo games from Taiwan. Oh, and wow. we sold, this was late 80s, so we only had a landline phone going home to my mom. 
So, like <laughs> half of all the calls that my mom received was like people wanted to buy Nintendo games from the advertisements we put out in different uh, newspapers around the country. So, that was my absolutely first company. And the, the worst thing there was that these turned out to be pirate copies, which we had no idea about because I was like 15 and it was a totally new thing. So, we actually chipped consoles. We chipped the first Nintendo machine to make it work with Asian uh, cartridges. Uh, so, we did that in our basement and we sold uh, games on mail order. So, that's a long time ago, still late, like probably 1989, I would say. But then I was involved in, in, in a series of different businesses. I've been running a management consulting company before Paradox, but at Paradox, I kind of ended up uh, by accident because we I licensed um, a property from a company called Paradox Entertainment, a pen and paper role playing uh, property called Mutant, which was very famous in the Nordics, uh, late 80s as well. And me and a couple of friends, we remade a new version of that pen and paper role playing game. And that's how I got in connection with Paradox Entertainment to begin with. And then the founder of Paradox Entertainment, whose name is also Fred, which makes for a lot of, of uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, misunderstandings and whatnot. But so he asked me to come and join and said, you know what, you should you should sit at our computer games department. It's six people are super talented, but we really need some structure and we need someone who runs that department. And I said, well, why not? And a year later, uh, they were prepared to cl close it down because it wasn't financially a really successful uh, outfit then. So I said, okay, let's, me and another guy, we just took it over. And so I've been running it basically since we were seven people. And uh, we've never raised money, which also is an important detail. So since we took it over in 2004, we've never raised a dime, uh, which I think is the most interesting thing. So when people come to me and say, how do you raise money? I'm like, I have no idea because I never did it. I, like, I, I have some vague ideas on how other people did, but, you know, I've been <laughs> running this company. That's all I've been doing for 14 years that's incredible I mean how do you how do you take a company that somebody already wants to get rid of because it's not profitable or it's not financially viable and end up you know turning it into something great without ever raising a dime how, how did you make that work financially well back in those days in 2003 4 5 uh, there was no digital distribution it was basically no steam they hadn't opened up yet to uh, third parties so right. What I, ha what I did was to call Atari, who was then a, a distribution giant for North America. They had a great sales team. There were like 25 people in the team, covered all the big retail stores, everything. So I called them up and got a meeting for E3 in 2004, I think. And, and they accepted to start distributing us, which was a surprise to me. But they knew about the game. I think it was Hearts of Iron that we had released a year before, two years before. So uh, then it opened up the North American market for our publishing. So we took some like Russian developed and like Hungarian developed games and started like publishing them in North America and took like a cut in between there so we could continue to finance what we did. But we also did some form of like primitive Kickstarter, if you want to call it that. Uh, we, I traveled around to like 14, 15 different countries and I asked like, if you get distribution rights for your country, are you willing to pay a guarantee sum in beforehand so we can fund this development? <laughs> and surprisingly, a lot of people were willing to do that. So I, I went to Russia, I went to France, the UK, Germany, and just collected uh, prepaid money for our games. And that's how we funded, for example, Hearts of Iron 2 that we released in uh, January 2005. 
<laughs> so my next question for you is it spawns off of that is that seems like an incredible hustle that you had to do i mean just going and going and going to take this company of seven people and connect them to atari and travel to you know these other countries and find people who are willing to support you how did you possibly make that happen and and how did you stay motivated through all of that that can't have been an easy time for you. No, it was it was kind of tough because we were always paying our invoices late. We all, I mean, when people ask me what's been the hardest part of running Paradox, and I say, well, uh, seven years of immediate cash flow crisis was pretty tough, you know. <laughs> so it was like <laughs> basically seven years in a row. You you could be on like the tenth or the twelfth of the month, and and you would be like, oh god, we're gonna pay salaries on the twenty fifth. How is this ever gonna happen? You know, when I changed bank uh, to the bank that we're still using today, th that was like 12 years ago, and no one wanted to give us a credit line of what, it was like $120,000 we asked for in credit. And no one wanted to, to give us that. Like five banks turned us down. So I, I met this guy at a party who worked for Danske Bank, which is the big Danish bank. So it's like basically our... our um, like arch enemy uh, from a Swedish perspective, uh, like nation-wise. So, so he said, like, we're, we're going to take care of this. And so I called him Monday morning. This was on Saturday. And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember we were talking about that. So we got the credit eventually. I, I don't know if it was because he was drunk at the party and said the wrong <laughs> thing or if it was actually that they were looking for new clients. But so it, it was a pretty tough time because we just had to juggle things every month, every day. So I think... The most important why you can start growing is when you can start actually focusing on making good things. Like 13 years ago, I helped in games development. I helped in the sales, marketing. Uh, I helped in calling all our uh, like partners saying that we're going to be paid late because we didn't have any money in the accounts. Like we did everything. When we created a an e-shop or, or an e-commerce platform to sell Crusader Kings because our American distributor had gone bankrupt, uh, I did all the work myself. I set up the e-commerce shop. Uh, I went to our warehouse every afternoon and packed boxes because I was too cheap to use the postal office because they wanted like a dollar fifty for picking, packing, shipping. And I said, no way, we can do that ourselves. So. <laughs> Once you can start actually focusing on what creates your business and what builds value, that's when you can start growing for real. And, and that was like around 2009-10. So, but I, I would say that, you know, I, I've had a great time all the time I've been running the company. Sometimes now I can miss all the chaos that we had like in 2005, 6, 7, 8. Everything was fast and loose and everything was like, you felt like, anything was possible although you were just a small company i think to us now we can still grow really fast and we can do a lot of fun things but everything takes a lot of time it's like it's like running a really big boat so if you're going to turn if you see an iceberg uh, in 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 the distance you can turn slowly and, and like and make it happen but previously we were running a fast small ship that could turn like on a dime just do something else and I, I can miss that from time to time because i like it when things happen it's one of my mottos like i just like when things happen can be bad things can be good things as long as something happens i'm happy <laughs> <laughs> even I, I don't know if it even makes sense but sometimes you know I, I say let's try something else and people will say well this this actually works why why should we try something else i'm like because nothing is happening because it's boring 
and they will be like, don't destroy the things that are working. You know? So, <laughs> well, but I do surround myself with people who actually uh, try to hold me back from, from uh, like crushing things that actually work. So I, I think we have a good balance right now. Sure, that's fair. Uh, I mean, that's an incredible story that, you know, you guys had to put so much in and you, uh, just to keep going, but you did keep going and you ended up, you know, like you said, 2009, 2010, you started um, publishing other games and, and really started expanding. At what point did you realize that you were growing and that things were actually going pretty darn well? I I, I think it's been... a few different episodes where I felt like, God, this is a big breakthrough. Uh, the first one was probably when we released Galactic Civilizations 2 for only European territories. So it was the first time we worked with Stardock, uh, and it was a really great relationship. They make the same kind of games that we do, so it just made sense that we did the European publishing for them. And that was in 2006 or seven, and that was like, wow, we can actually do this. We can take a third-party game and do a really good job. I would say the second big breakthrough was probably Magica, where we sold so much in the first like month uh, by 2011 standards that we had back then. Right. So we were like surprised that so many people would like to buy a small quirky game that we put out for ten dollars, and it turned out to be over a million, like I said, in the first year. And I think the third major break through moment was city skylines in 2015 so it was just two and a half years ago and uh, and we we already knew we wanted to make a city builder and we already knew we were going to base it off the, the template that was later on city skylines and uh, but once it released i was surprised by the force that just came in and supported us and created mods and just made it happen because there are so many things in our industry that can go wrong. You can release a great game and no one will still know about it. Uh, but City Skylines, it felt like all the stars were aligned and it was our turn in the spotlight. So those are the three moments I remember the most clearly as like breakthrough moments. But I think it's hard to say uh, like this moment or that moment, like you saw it changing. But you always have a few like, like wow, that's a relief. It actually worked. Thank God. Like, because I'm, I'm a man who plans for the worst and hopes for the best. So every time things go above what we thought, and I'm a very negative guy when it comes to making forecasts, I, I get really happy and I'm like, wow, that was good. And then, then you're just happy for two days and, and then you're more like, okay, so nothing is happening. What, what are we doing next here? So <laughs> I guess that's the nature of who I am as well. Do you think that that... Um kind of negative forecast idea of, you know, uh, hoping for the best, but planning for the worst. Has that really been beneficial for you as you've gone through this, you know, Paradox Interactive part of your life? I, I think that <clears throat> since I always believe things are going to go to hell, you know, it, it's kind of, <laughs> it kind of, sometimes people can see that as being a cynic and I, I I don't think naturally that's what I am um, maybe people see me as that but I just want to keep people's expectations in, in check so people don't just fly away believing things that we haven't delivered on yet because you see so many people making so lofty promises and then it's really hard to live up to it and I don't want to be that guy I just want to be the guy that says this is what we're going to deliver and then we deliver that and people will say like 
whoa, that was right on the money. And then we continue to deliver the next thing. But I, I think I might come off as a cynic and uh, like uh, know it all. And you know, uh, yeah, I, I can see it being a negative thing. I can see that. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Uh, here's a question for you, and this is just you know a personal one that that I've thought of, uh, and it's because of City Skylines. So this game that came out that people have loved and has blown up quite a bit, I've never had the chance to play because I primarily play my games on console. Uh, but City Skylines I saw is coming to the PS4, which is where I will play it. Um, what are your thoughts on uh, games on the PC versus games on console? Um, and I know that's a big, wide question. Yeah, but I, you know, you know, I, I don't want to get involved in a, like a PC master race war right here, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. But I, I think what I think is good about the console because the PC is a good platform because it's an open platform. It's easy uh, to develop for it, and right. everything is is kind of democratic if that word can even be used in a gaming uh, context. What I think is good about the consoles is that they open up more. And Xbox, they're talking about allowing mods, for example, which will be would be a big step step in the right direction for us. Um, mm-hmm. So we're looking now at consoles because they are doing more of the things that you can find on the PC platform already, like the freedom to operate, easier to release patches, easier for us to control and making sure that we are on top of things instead of like asking Microsoft or Sony like can we please do this daddy like so previously (laughs) (laughs) previously it was hard for like a mid-sized publisher that we are to really make a footprint on the consoles but I think both Microsoft and Sony has changed for the better and that's why we're taking a turn as well trying to at least make an impact now seeing like okay city skylines would that work do we think that any of our grand strategy games will work on a console? Well, maybe not Hearts of Iron because it's super detailed and super rich in, in information flow. But maybe some of the other guy, uh, games, maybe Stellaris would work. We don't know. Like, so we're, we're willing now to make more experiments on the console side as well. So for the aspiring indie developers who are out there listening to this and thinking, you know, I want to put my game on a console platform, or is my game right for you know the console space as opposed to the PC? Uh, what would you say to those people when they're trying to consider where to put their game? I don't think the platform mattered that much, to be honest. It might be uh, might be a bit weird that I'm saying that, but I think the most important thing in your company when you form it is to have that that one guy or girl or whatever who is in charge of everything commercial and PR, like who really are passionate for making the games like visible to everyone and who's really an advocate for the game out there towards like all the YouTubers and all the media because you see so many super talented game developers who believe that a good game will sell itself and you see these like 90% user score games being sold on Steam and you see that they're not selling more than a couple of thousand units and that's a shame because I think a lot of people underestimate how hard it is to get people to actually know about what they're doing because companies like nowadays Paradox as well, but all the big ones, they take up so much space in in media that it's hard for the smaller ones to get any attention. So I think that is something where you should start the business as well. Like, so okay, we have all the talented programming power we need and the the, uh, game design and the uh, artists. So where is our PR dude? that we're hired. 
Sure. I mean, that's a really important topic, too, that we've touched on a few times on the Indie Insider podcast, is the idea that you can't just make a great indie game, but you have to also market your indie game and put your game out there in front of people. Um, Otherwise, you know, especially with how many indie games are out there now, it's very easy for your game to get drowned out. And I think, as you mentioned earlier in the podcast, you can make a great game and people might never see it. Yeah. I mean, I think there are 10 games a day releasing on Steam. It was last year. So it's, it's a tough market right now. Do you think that you know PR and um, marketing is the answer for these small indie devs trying to you know get their game to be profitable and and try and at least make a living off of you know what they're doing? It's it's a very boring answer uh, because I think it's a part of the answer, obviously. Sure. Uh, but I also think that more people should like even the people who work in games development should be more engaged in PR and marketing and see it as a natural part of what they are doing. Like engage with people on social media, and I I know it doesn't come natural for everyone, but once you're like gamers are not that intimidating to be honest it might seem like that at first because when you're involved in like we screw up every now and then a paradox we had like a price discussion with our full community that just blew up here in june so i just posted my email address online i said you know what if you have a question just email me it was during my actual vacation uh which i spent in spain and as i got 250 emails in 48 hours wow so i spent the better of of my vacation week uh answering emails which is a big blessing because what you will get back is people's opinions uh, that are typically like the reason people connect to you is that they want to buy your game and they want to support what you do. So you should be grateful for people contacting you, not like just be scared. Um, except for some people write, a, hey there, fuckhead, and then I don't even bother responding, <laughs> you know, because it's just a trolling like uh, opportunity to troll. But right. I would say 95% of of emails are constructive and and they really want to be a part of what you are doing and building a community takes a lot of time it takes a lot of time and effort and yeah I mean when when we started our community we had a really hard time getting people even to sign up to be members and now we're like I think we reach a couple of million people every month so we've been building everything brick by brick there are no shortcuts if you don't have a lot of money uh, there are no shortcuts to doing things yeah, that's incredible. And it's a very boring answer as well. And I'm sorry about that. No, no, no. But it's true. I think sometimes people uh, focus too much on the exciting answers, focus too much on, you know, the art of making games and not enough on, you know, the business of making games and building a community and, and the long-term uh, game, I'll say, of being an indie developer. So that makes a lot of sense. And before we leave the topic, what would you say to those people out there who maybe want to become that PR person? What sort of skills should they be developing if they want to, you know, do PR for Paradox Interactive? If you want to do, first of all, you need to be really passionate about games. Uh, When we hire people, we'll look a lot at are they actually playing games? It doesn't matter where you work, even if you work in the finance department of Paradox. We appreciate when people have a passion for the product because nothing can replace an understanding on why people are playing the games. It, it puts you in a totally different um, perspective all the time. It, like you understand the product and why people are actually buying from you. Uh, 
uh, you can never replace that. Uh, but I think on the PR side, you should have a natural uh, willingness to communicate to people, and you should be willing to take a lot of shit, like because you will get a lot of shit. Like <laughs> yeah. you're going to be in the middle of the shitstorm all the time, uh, and some sometimes up to 10, 12 percent of the time, people are going to be really nice to you as well. So <laughs> you can look forward to those like small like islands of freedom that people are giving you or, or like love that people are giving you as well. But it, I, I don't I don't know. Finding, I think, finding a pleasure in just making something famous and just taking something forward. I, I think that's the most important thing. And be willing to communicate a lot. Well, uh, I mean, Frederick, you are the CEO and president of a company that, you know, has made some big waves in the video game industry. Um, the company has grown, you know, like you said, from seven people hustling to try and stay afloat to, you know, hundreds of people working together, you know, to put out games throughout the world. How does that feel? Do you ever sit back and go, yeah, I'm the CEO of you know, an, an impressive company. I have a fantastic job. I mean, does it feel that good? I, I think it feels really good, but it, it's from time to time. You know, I, I never signed up to actually do this. I never knew that we would be like in 2017, now 250 people still growing, still having bigger ambitions than ever. Right. So I never knew that uh, like when we were seven people because I still thought, I, I thought it was a lot of fun just being seven people. The first time we filled our whole lunchroom of people and I was supposed to give like a monthly presentation, which we always do. We have something called Paradox Monthly. So I walk out and I just... Uh, tell people about all the numbers that we achieved the month and some other things that has happened like they're notable and so the first time we filled the whole lunchroom with people I had to go to a side room and catch my breath I was like oh god there are so many people out there it was like probably 80 90 people I'm like and all these people are expected to get paid every month and they expect me <laughs> to be the guy who actually knows what I'm doing so they can get paid it was a super it was one of the scariest feelings I've ever had, uh, but once I overcame that, uh, it's been a great feeling. But from time to time, it's like you need to understand the impact you have on people uh, because I know people can see you as intimidating because when new people start a paradox and I, I walk past their desk and I see something that excites me, I will be like, oh, damn, what are you doing? What is this? And people are like jumping <laughs> like 10 feet into the air just from like... Yeah, I don't know. I, I know I can be intimidated, so I try to think about that as well. Like, act calmly, be like, don't show too much emotion and everything. So, <laughs> is I don't that know. Your, is that your advice for being a, a good manager, is, you know, remaining calm? I, I think that, like, it depends on what you want to achieve, right? If you want to achieve maximum result all the time, you have to ask yourself every day, so what am I doing right now that is maximizing what the person I'm talking to is doing? And how should I behave? If the person is responding well to you being angry all the time, well, then you should be angry all the time. But most people are not motivated by people who are angry all the time, right? So. Just trying to find, like, how should I function to make everyone else around me better? Because I say that all the time. Leadership is not about holding speeches or doing interviews like this. Leadership is making people around you better. And then the ones who has to adapt are not the people that report to you, but it's actually you, because you have to be 
changing sort of how you operate because I have eight people report to me for example I can't talk to them in the same way because they're not motivated by the same things so I need to change and not them to begin with and that's an interesting like just just a reflection on the leadership side so sure coming out from nowhere I guess but still <laughs> I want to ask you about something you mentioned uh, just a couple minutes ago which was that idea of paradox monthly where you come out and, and kind of bring everyone together and be very open about what the company is doing, where the company's at. Has that been really beneficial in in the Paradox Interactive office space uh, and for the employees being so open? I, I hope it has been. It, it's up to the employees to reply to that. But one of the things that we wanted to be with Paradox is transparent. So I value transparency a lot. So people are getting probably more information than is actually necessary but I want people to understand not only what we're doing but why we are doing certain things so when we do some things we, we like when we are buying a new studio like we did last week we're not just saying this has happened but we explain the reason why we explain a lot about how their team works we explain a lot about how big fans we are of Triumph Studios and their game, like Age of Wonders in this case. Mm -hmm. So I, I think we go to length trying to be as transparent as we can so that people will understand the context in which they operate. If they understand why we are doing things, it's easier for them on a daily basis as well. And I think I think people uh, like it. I think people appreciate it. But it's more up to people. Like, for me as a CEO, it's simple to say, yeah, everyone loves it, but <laughs> I guess you have to talk. I guess you have to talk to some actual people at Paradox, but that's how we try to do it, and hopefully succeeding to some extent. Well, and here's a question for you, and I think this will be true for a lot of uh, indie developers, or at least you know, uh, be meaningful for them. One idea that we think about a lot in the video game industry is this idea of transparency and both companies that are transparent about what's going on and, and maybe aren't as transparent and withhold certain information, um, especially to consumers. How do you, and I guess when you think about it, what do you think about uh, in terms of being transparent to your consumers about what's going on with your company? Are there things that you don't want to tell people or are there things that you want to tell people so they understand what's going on and, and maybe they can support you more and how do you balance that well the, and i know that's another really big question so it, i apologize is, it is it, it depends a bit on what you're telling people like if we have right. a bad relationship with one of our developers for example we tend not to try to throw shit at each other but just like keep it like uh to ourselves and just try to sort things out among us instead of like having a flame war in media. So if, if people call that like not being transparent, I would I would say that um, that's how I suggest people should handle like disputes, for example. But when sure. it comes to everything else, I would say that explaining to people why you're doing doing certain things is typically very helpful because people will then come out and say, you know what, I don't necessarily agree with what you're doing but i understand the rationale on why you're doing it and that's that's at least worth something so you will get respect from people if you try to be transparent and i, I think that's a win i like it well hey i want to bounce back to another idea we talked about a while ago it was those um six different pillars that all of the paradox interactive games should embrace um, and that replayability factor that you strive for when somebody is making their game, their small studio is making games, do you recommend that they figure out what their pillars are? Is that an idea that you 
really want to push to people? Yeah, I, I think it's a good thing to start talking about why are we doing a game? What's the reason we're doing a game together? And it's a very, it's an abstract thing to start with, and some people are not comfortable starting there. But, but I suggest you do that anyways, because if the motivation factors in between people are not aligned, it might end up in a conflict anyways. Typically, if you're like three, four-man team, you're pretty much aligned, because you sit together every day, you can talk about everything all the time. If you're 250-man operations like Paradox Interactive 2017, it's a totally different story because then you have to talk a lot about what's our common values, like our cultural values, like what do we value at this company and what type of games do we want to make together at this company to be successful. And so you need these abstract, abstract things in a totally different way. Uh, we talk a lot about the game vision uh, as well. Um, like what's the vision for our games and then you break that down into the core pillars of the game and they break that down into features like core loops of the game and that breaks down into full game design for the game so that's the way we work so everyone in marketing as well if you explain the game to someone in marketing you can just say these are the core pillars and this is how it act, like it feeds into this game specifically and then it's easier for people in marketing to actually to actually uh, go out and sell the game to people make traders sure. for example and just common understanding of everything I think if you have a couple of core pillars <clears throat> it's easier for you to explain the game to others as well so it's so always good well I had the pleasure of interviewing um, a gentleman from Blizzard uh, who said something very similar, that they have kind of these three main pillars of their company, and they actually have them, you know, written out in their common area, essentially, and that influences every decision that they make as they're building a game and, and as they're putting something out there. And it sounds very similar to what you're telling me here about your fundamental pillars at Paradox Interactive. I assume that having those structured pillars that are you know at the core of your company is probably something that's true for most major successful companies i think it has to be right yeah <clears throat> and i mean we are absolutely we are also like we're dividing this into like the who we are and what we do uh, pillars the, the what we do is the game pillars and who we are are the cultural pillars and that's been actually uh we voted on what do we actually, what kind of behavior do we like at Paradox and what, how do we want people to behave towards each other? Because we're, I think we're 26 different nationalities working at the company. It, wow. It, it, yeah, so cultural clashes could be a phenomenon, but you rarely see that because people have a common respect and an understanding of what we're trying to achieve together, so. That's really cool. Um, Frederick, when you think about Paradox Interactive, this company that has grown so much over you know the last 15 years or so, what do you think about when you think about the future? What does the next five, 10 years look like for Paradox Interactive? Um, at least you know what you can tell me. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> we speak like and uh, we have a theme song for the company. Um, and for seven years, our theme song was Living on a Prayer by Bon Jovi. So it felt like that all the time. So I, I, and we changed it a couple of years ago to Queen, Don't Stop Me Now, which is a much better like description on, on how the company feels today because I, I feel that we can pretty much achieve anything we want to do. And I think we have the, like, 
the world is totally open to us. And I think what we need to do now, and it's scary because like previously, five, six, seven years ago, we were still underdogs. No one counted on us to achieve anything or basically do anything. And we've grown from that to being more of a thought leader in the strategy game space, which is scary because now it means that we can't do bad games anymore. Like we can't release games that aren't like super good on release, for example. And it, it's a good, uh, it's good, like it pushes the team forward, uh, but it's also a bit like intimidating. <laughs> well, right, I would that. imagine. But, but I think the most important thing for us now is just to make sure that we prioritize the right things. So we're not trying to do everything at once because growing is like if you overextend uh, what you're trying to do and just walk into everything you think is going to grow, I, I think it's, it's going to be really tough for the company as well. So we need that's, to focus like where are we going to grow? Yeah, that's an interesting idea because uh, you know on this show we've talked a lot about uh, scope and keeping the scope of your is, well, essentially indie game um, focused. And it's interesting to hear you say the same things about, you know, managing a, a large multiple hundred employee company. Yeah. Just, and, 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 and it's like when I speak, I speak a lot to young entrepreneurs in other industries as well. And they come to me and they say like, I have a hundred ideas on how to make money. And I say, well, you don't need a hundred ideas. You need three. And you need to prioritize which is the most important idea, which is the second most important, from your perspective, how you think it's going to work. And then you have to try them out. Do they work or not? If they don't, just scratch them and start on the next one. Because a hundred ideas in your head at the same time, no one can handle that. You need to focus and make sure that you run through like, okay, I've done this now, I tested this and I've learned this. Let's move on to the next thing. Until you find where you strike gold. I like that. Do you feel like you've struck gold is, I mean, uh, and I, I, I say this, you know, solely because I think we've had some great conversation at this point. Um, you seem like somebody who loves what you do. You love Paradox Interactive um, and, and you clearly love the people that you work with and what you guys are doing. But you also seem like somebody who loved the small seven person hustle of, you know, being a small indie team would I mean, in the future, whenever the time comes, would you ever go back to that? I, I think I have a romantic picture on how it worked back in those <laughs> days. And I think, you know, I was 14, 14 years younger as well back then. So I probably had a different, I, I still have a lot of energy, but I think my energy back then was totally different. And I think I changed I, I wouldn't say improved so much, but changed my skill set a lot. So I, I've developed a lot of leadership skills that I didn't have 14 years ago. But I don't think I would have the energy necessary to like put up like an e-commerce shop in two weeks, sitting programming all like uh, HTML, like scripting HTML stuff until like 3 a.m. in the morning and stuff. I, I don't think really I'm geared for that anymore. Uh, but I like to think. Uh, that I would love to do it anyways, but I think that's more of a romantic picture that I still have in my head So I would I probably prefer what I have right now, but I still remember <laughs> it fondly, you know, so Sure, I understand that I do uh, well, I just have a couple last questions for you before I let you go. Um, and again, thank you so much for taking the time to, you know, talk to me. I know that you're taking some, uh, some family time this summer, so I appreciate you, uh, working me into your schedule. Uh, but before I let you go, 
Uh, a couple last questions for you. You said that you have developed some leadership abilities that you didn't have before, and you've kind of you know developed those as you've you know grown and expanded Paradox. What would you say to those people out there who are trying to be leaders and who are trying to you know uh, uh, make an impact in this industry, and especially you know with coworkers, they're trying to guide. Uh, the vision of a game, you know, whether they're a small five-person team, a 20-person team, or, you know, maybe an 80-person team, what would you say to those people that are struggling with leadership? I would say, first and foremost, start working with yourself because it starts with yourself. Like, are you willing to change to make other people around you better? Um, and I think the biggest problem is people who say, I just want to be myself. And that's all fair. But then you're not going to develop your leadership skills because it, it's not about you. It's about other people. It's about making other people better, as I said before. And if you're going to make other people better, you're the one that has to change. You might have to make other people change as well, but you have to start working with yourself. Then you need someone who tells you who you really are. So you don't have like a fancy picture of yourself in your head as this all like uh, omnipotent like leader who can do anything because you can't, uh, no one can. So you need to have that one or two or three, in my case, up to five people nowadays <laughs> who just tell you what you're good and bad at. And being bad at something doesn't necessarily mean you have to work on that. It just need you just need to know about it. So you're not falling into a trap of like doing things you think you're good at but you're really bad. Everyone else sees that you're really bad. Because I I'm a big fan of people focusing on what they're good at, not focusing to covering up for their weak spots, but rather just enhancing what they're really good at and specializing in that. But start working with yourself and have people around you have the guts to tell you that. You know, you know what? You have to work on this. You know what? This that you did, it's just not good. Make some tests of your personality as well and see, is this really me? Like, and get someone to mirror those tests for you. It's a good start. Interesting. I like that. That's that's uh, very insightful. So thank you. Oh, uh, thank you. Yeah, I, I've been through five years of therapy or six. I've been through all the personality tests you can ever imagine. And I've, I've stumbled into a couple of brutal truths about myself that I don't necessarily like that much, but I've learned to live with it, if you put it that way. Like, it's not like, yeah, that's the best way to put it. Well, and I think that's very fair because I think there are a lot of people out there who, you know, maybe are uncomfortable with themselves or, you know, see themselves a certain way that maybe others don't. And so that insight that you've shared is is probably very true for a lot of people. And I'm, sh I'm sure people can relate to that. Mm. Yeah, I hope. Well, here's one last question for you. Um, and this comes from the idea that I have, at least, that, uh, you know, very intelligent, very successful people have you know resources and other people that inspire them as you've grown paradox interactive as you've become you know the ceo that you are now have you found other people's work uh, other people's talks other people's books that have really inspired you or affected you anything that comes to mind yeah just straight off i think something everyone should read when it comes to both game development and like the finances behind it and the business is uh, jonathan Kahneman's book thinking fast and slow uh, i think it's a really good book 
it just explains how a lot of commercial things work. He he won the Nobel Prize in in economics, I think, in two thousand three. But he's he's really a psychologist, so it's a very interesting book, and it opens it opened a lot of things for me as well. I was like, wow, that's that's really impressive. And then I watch a lot <clears throat> Daniel Pink his YouTube videos about like motivation, and so that's interesting as well. Great recommendations. I appreciate it. Uh, well. Uh, Frederick Wester, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, but of course, at the end of every single episode of Indie Insider, I ask my guests to share a piece of advice. Um, one last thing to send people home with, something that's been true for you or has resonated in your life or, or is even true for you in the last couple of years. Um, it's something that you want to send home with the people who want to grow up to be just like you. Um, you've already shared a ton of advice and a ton of insight, so I appreciate that. But is there anything you want to send people home with today? Yeah, I think what people typically um, st are starting to forget, even in our industry, is how important it is to be passionate about what you do. And really make sure that you focus on what you're passionate about and don't let other people tell you what you should do because there's like an opening in the market or there's a commercial opportunity and whatnot. Because if you're not passionate about what you do, you can never sell what you're trying to sell to other people either. So the passion, I think, is the most important basis for any company that is starting today. And, I mean, has that been true for you? Are you pretty passionate about all the things that Paradox does and puts out? I would not say everything, but at least 75 to 80%. We make our mistakes <laughs> and we do some bad things that we've done in the past as well. But I, I'm getting closer to 100% for every day that passes. But the most important thing is that I'm passionate about what the company stands for. And that's super important. That is super important. Awesome. Well, Frederick Wester, CEO and president of Paradox Interactive, um, uh, that's it. Thank you so much. If people want to find you out on social media, they've really enjoyed this talk and want to follow you and your work, um, or they want to follow Paradox Interactive, how do they find you out on those interwebs? Uh, typically, I'm very active on Twitter. Uh, at least I, I reply to all people's questions there, and I'm called the Westerfront is my Twitter handle. Uh, <laughs> you can just search for it. If you want to search for Paradox Interactive, you can just search for it uh, on Twitter as well or in any social media. Uh, or paradoxplaza.com is the uh, web address. Excellent. Uh, that's great. Uh, again, you've been just fantastic. I appreciate all the insight you've brought to the show and shared. Um, I'm sure many people will love this episode. So, Frederick Wester, CEO of Paradox Interactive. Thank you for joining us this week. Again, if you have thoughts, questions, or ideas you'd like to share, you can email me at logan at blackshowmedia.com or reach out on Twitter at Indie underscore Insider or at Logan A. Schultz. That's L-O-G-A-N-A-S-C-H-U-L-T-Z. You can also find us on Instagram under the name Indie Insider. The show is on iTunes, Google Play, and other podcast services across the web, as well as the Blackshell Media blog. If you enjoy what we're doing here and want us to keep doing it, or if you have things you'd like us to change, please go to your favorite podcast provider and leave us a review so that we can keep sharing these episodes with you each week. Special thanks this week go out to Raghav Mother, Daniel Doan, and Raquel Hainer, as well as Benjamin Tiso over at bensound.com for the use of his song, Going Higher. I'm Logan Schultz, and you've been listening to Indie Insider. We'll see you next week.